greatest joy in my life really is being a mother. You know, um, ministry is awesome. We love the kingdom. But there's something special about families, isn't there? And um, I'm just, if you don't have a, um, an offspring or you don't have children, but you have the body of Christ, there's something unique about relationship. The thing with prophetic ministry is when we press in to be a prophetic people sometimes, God calls us to seasons of separation. And I was telling Pastor Lee, I said, or maybe it was Angela, the hardest thing for me sometimes is leaving my family. You know, and I text them every day, and I Facebook them. And I didn't even get a response from Dana yet. Right? Tell, tell Jude I love him 10 million. Kiss the baby for me, and I haven't heard a response. But family and, com- and relationship and communication is so vital. And even in the kingdom of God, you know, when God wants to birth something, he prepares a heart that's ready to receive it. So your heart has probably been in preparation for quite a while to make way, to prepare the way for the Lord to expand the kingdom in you. And we say the kingdom of, of God is forever growing and expanding. Well, what that simply means is the kingdom of God is expanding in us. And we have to make room. We have to be flexible and pliable and ready to change. We should never be stagnant. I like what he said. He said, um, we have, there's something new being birthed. And when something new is being birthed, you have to put away old ideas and old systems. We never put away the, the foundation of the word of God, but because the wind is forever blowing and changing, we never really know what's on the horizon. But as a prophetic people, God so mercifully gives us a glimpse of what he wants to do. We don't really have the totality of the picture, but that's where faith comes in. And I believe that God already has had you in preparation to receive, you know, his kingdom. His kingdom come. Where does it come? It comes in us. That we represent the kingdom of God is in you. It's not some random term that we throw out because it sounds good or it's a new wave in the body of Christ. You know, the body of Christ has gone through so many waves, you know, but I believe that now is the culmination It's the restoration of all things. We see an all things movement coming together in the body of Christ. You know, every piece and every bit from past movements is now culminating into this this awesome total picture puzzle, and we get to be a partaker of what God is doing in the earth. And I think it's key and it's important. This week, of course, we're concentrating on the prophetic, but really the prophetic is a gateway to expand the kingdom of God in the earth. And um, you're just awesome people. You know, I, I said to Paul, I said, we had, you know, like three times the crowd the other night, but when we said we're going to activate, <laughs> only those that were ready to take the leap of faith really came out and you want to be stretched in your faith. Because it's not about activating gifts, it's about activating faith. Because it takes faith. But what it is, it's the faith of God deposited in a people that are intimate with him So, like I said last night, there's a oneness coming in the church, a oneness, a a unity between the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us. It's like, are we the fourth piece? (laughs) There's a a wrapping together of all of it, and we're becoming one with the Godhead. And in that oneness, we don't second guess, we don't question, we come into that place of knowing, discerning, applying and understanding the will of God. And it really, I believe we're in an easy season, but it's one of courage. It's a courageous season. You know, it takes great courage. Courage rises up in the believer that knows his God because those that know our God will do the exploits. You know, and the exploit could mean just, we we talked to a man yesterday and I thanked him for being a veteran. You know, I mean, those are exploits because maybe no one ever honored this man in his whole life. And just that deposit spoken from the rhema, the word, the heart of God, could just, you know, change his life. We don't understand the power of a word, one word. And we think that sometimes, well, that's not prophetic. Yeah, when you're one with the Father, when you're one with God, you become that that living epistle that book that we're, we're read by all people. We're also heard by all people. And you have to see yourself 
is one that changes not only atmosphere, but people, lives. I had a, a man, we're talking about honor a little bit. A man came to my door maybe a year ago, and, you know, I knew it was a Jehovah Witness. They come around on Saturday mornings with the suit, and they park their car. <laughs> they scope out the territory, and he came to my door, and I really didn't have time to talk to him. And I said, sir, I says, you know, he said, I am a Jehovah Witness, he said, and I want to invite you. They were doing an Easter thing, and he had his little watchtower book out. I said, you know what, sir? I said, honestly, I says, I'm a Christian, and we have major doctrinal differences. I says, and I really don't have time to go into it with you. I says, but, I says, you know what? I really want to thank you. I really appreciate the fact that you were honest and said you were a Jehovah Witness. I said, because you're the first person that ever came to my door from the Kingdom Hall that said he was a Jehovah Witness. So I and he was like taken back. He didn't know how to react. So we can find ways to honor people. We are conditional many times as believers. We say we, ha we, we spread unconditional love, but if you really examine what we really do, we really are conditional because we'll love people if we think they're going to get saved or we will love people if, um, you know, we, we like the way they're living. You know, we're conditional. And, and unconditional means you're going to love somebody whether or not they even ever get saved. Can you do that? You know, can you honor people even if they are Jehovah Witness or whatever, because God created them, they just don't, they don't have any revelation of the love of God. So if we are his prophetic voice in the earth, then a mere honoring, a verbal honoring, believing that your words are going to change lives and shift atmospheres, that something was eternally deposited in him that day that could be a seed to him coming into the kingdom. We don't know. So, you know, thanking waitresses and honoring them and tell them they look pretty and looking at their engagement rings and, and this kind of thing and just asking them a little bit about their lives. Those are gateways. But you can only do that when you know that the kingdom of God is expanding in you. And what is that wrapped up in? It's wrapped up in the love of God. It, that there's no great key or great secret to being a force on the earth except allowing the love of God to change you. And then you become the instrument you become the one. You know, I'd been in ministry for about 15 years before I really ever really understood the love of God. I, I had an understanding God loved me, but I didn't quite know how to express it and um, give it away. I, I didn't have the full expression inside of me. The kingdom had not yet been expanded in me in the realm of love. And my mom got sick. She got dementia. You know, she got form of Alzheimer's or whatever. And um, that whole process, one year I didn't minister because I took care of her. And it was difficult. It was really difficult because she was just mean. She up all night, sleep all day. It was just really difficult. Then I had to put her in assisted living. And I remember the day she was looking out the window. And I, she was like really sad. It was the day before I was moving her. And I said, Mom, what's the matter? And she said, I thought this was my home. And that bout broke me. And the two of us just, we wrapped our arms around each other, and something happened inside of me that really melted my stony heart. And when I put her in the assisted living, I'd go there every day. I was there every day, and I had a chance to interact with the elderly. And I'm telling you, I've learned more about the love of God interacting with shut-ins. And, and sometimes... It's your perspective that will define your life. Because our perspective could be, well, God put me on a shelf this year. You know, I guess God doesn't want to use me, or I have to do this. Can you believe I'm in the fire and I have to do this? But when we understand, if we really understand that we've given him all rights to our lives, and seasons come and seasons go, and every season has its necessary fruit. And, and that season, he had to birth that love in me. And it just rocked my world. And the last two weeks of her life, I slept in the bed next to her. And I remember I was so caught up in God's compassion toward her. And I looked at her whole life, and I said, what was her life? What was it really like? What was it, 
What did her life count for? Because she was so unhappy. My mother worked so hard. She had two jobs. My dad left. And she remarried, and she married a man. He got Lou Gehrig's disease. And she just, she was very unhappy. She was just felt like life had gotten the best of her. And she knew the Lord, but she never really came into understanding grace. You know, she was still under, well, would God get mad at me if I said the rosary bead and all this stuff? She had been Catholic. And I remember the night she died, uh, Gary Brooks, a prophet, came, and he said, God just told me to come, and my pastors came. And he said, there are angels watching over her, and they're waiting for her. And I'm like, he saw the angels. I didn't see him. I, you know, like five years ago, I had an understanding that angels were real, but I never saw them. And I'm like, wow, you're seeing angels here over my mom? And he said, they're waiting for her, went on and on. And I'm like, this is a prophet of God. He's on the board of CI. He oversees our church. And he heard from God because he had a heart of love and compassion. He went over to Mike and Debbie's, and he said, what are you doing tonight? And they said, oh, nothing. He said, we need to go to the hospital to be with Ruth and her mother. And I'm thinking, wow, that's love. That's the love. That was a prophetic act. But what did the prophetic act do? It, it brought forth the love of God. And then he started to explain to me, and, and the whole thing was my mother really didn't want to give up. She didn't hear from my brother. We called my brother. But I'm just saying all that to say this. The gifts move. Jesus was moved because of love and compassion. And, and God wants to free us from mindsets that prohibit that love from fully expanding the expanse of the kingdom in us. So anyway, that season, you know, it was like at the end of that season, I'm like, that was, without a doubt, 30 years I'm saved, that was the very best season of my life. Now, some of you would, you know, if I look back now, I, I, I could have cursed that season. I had to learn how to adapt to it. And how we learn to adapt to seasons is key for us expanding the kingdom. And I tell you, one thing about the prophetic is that a key in the prophetic really is learning how to discern seasons. It's not necessarily speaking forth a prophetic word, but it's having, you know, that discerning heart that can discern the seasons in the life of the church, the life of your home, the life of your family. It's seasonal. You know, and you'd be amazed. People will leave churches because they can't discern seasons. They'll say, well, nothing's happening there. Well, God's trying to do an inner work of integrity or, or just create a foundation of faith and unity. So I believe that as we allow the kingdom to expand, the prophetic kingdom to expand in us, we will be solid as a rock, able to ride out every season and come through as a whole body. Because God's needing, he needs a whole body now. He needs the body of Christ to rise up and be who he intended them to be. So please allow God to help you discern seasons so that you stand fast as a body that advances the kingdom. So anyway, I don't know why I said all that. But the earmark of a true prophetic person is Jeremiah 23, 18. The person that stands in the counsel of the Lord. Standing in the counsel of the Lord. That's what it's all about. It's, <clears throat> speak, Lord. Samuel, Eli was mentoring him. Eli said to him, this is what you say to God. Speak, for your servant is listening. So with that speak, for I'm listening, you're activating now faith. You're inclining your ear, and you're setting things in motion for you to be the receiver. It's like you're talking to somebody on the telephone. You're talk, 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 talk. Like my mother-in-law, she never is quiet. She talks so much. My husband could put the phone down, walk away 10 minutes later, and he has done this. He has literally done it. He could probably go take a shower and come back, and my mother-in-law will still be talking. She's not speak for I'm listening. You know, she's speaking all the time. And I believe that God, I believe what is, what I've seen in the body of Christ lately is there's like this lull coming over us. God is trying to transition us, transition us into meditation. 
where we, we're quiet. How many of you sense that? There's a quietness, a meditative, right? And I believe that meditation really is the prelude to revelation. You know, it, it's the one that can still their soul, be still my soul, be still my w- mind, be still my emotions, be still my soul, because I need to position myself to listen. Right? Meditation is like a lost art. It really is. We think of meditation in the New Age. We think that, you know, we're mindless people. But meditation, I mean, my gosh, I was telling Zoe the other day, you know, about studying the Word of God. You know how I study the Word of God? I could take one verse and live in it for six months. You know, I'm not every day, oh, give me the Greek and get all my study books out. Yeah, I'll do that occasionally. But I'd rather take one verse, one chapter, meditate, live it, breathe it, think about it. Meditation means to ponder. Let, me, let my mind now ponder, grab hold of it, and let it become a reality. And I had been in Psalm 116 for months. I love the Lord because he heard my voice in supplication. Because he has inclined his ear toward me, therefore I shall call on him as long as I live. I love the Lord because he hears. And because he hears, I can trust him. Because he hears, I'm going to turn my attention toward him. I love the Lord because he heard me. And I'm inclining my ear. He heard our prayers. So it creates that dialogue of, oh my gosh, I love somebody that listens to me. You know, I love the Lord because he was always faithful. There was not one thing that ever escaped his thought when it was concerning me. So I was in that for so long, and I found that I was just, I love you, Lord, because you hear. And then what it did was it brewed in me a greater level of faith to know that everything I said that he was listening to. You know, so that's how I, you know, that's the word becoming flesh in you. And when that word becomes flesh in you, it no longer is the logos It transitions now because I've pondered on it. I became one with that word. I understand it fully and completely in that season. Now it's a truth, and it's deposited in me that I will walk it out all the days of my life. You see, so we have to allow the word of God to become alive, real, and that comes through meditation on the word of God. You know, it's not... Some people say, well, I'm going to memorize scripture. And I've been that too. You know, you do all those exercises. You're going to, first when I went to Bible school, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans. (laughs) We had to memorize the books of the Bible. And that was helpful, but it was not impartation. You follow me? And and when it becomes revelation in you, you, God's given you the authority to pass it and give it away. That's impartation. So anyway... Because I love the Lord, because he heard my voice in supplication. Anyway, um, remember, we are not called to be logical, but spiritual. We are going to be operating out of the spiritual mind. Okay, let's go into the boundaries of the prophetic. And I believe that, you know what? Teaching and workshops are different than services. And, but I think we've had a little bit of both, you know? But teaching, it, it's important that we allow ourselves time because I believe that when people ask us questions or they're, like when they said to John Paul Jackson, wow, how do you do what you do? He said, well, I don't know. I don't know. Can you imagine somebody said to you, how did you get that word for me? How did you get that song? Sean, could you imagine saying I don't know, just came. The person would say, wow, you're, that's amazing, and walk away. But When you can sit them down and say, wow, listen, here's my guitar. Let's strum a chord. Sing one word. You're, you're imparting. It's an impartation. It's a transference. It's a release. It's a giving away. You know, and the kingdom of God is meant to expand. The kingdom of God, how does it expand? Because we're imparting. It's impartation. We're giving it away. That which we possess, we're giving it away. So that's why training is important because we <clears throat> want to be able to be a people that say, 
Whatever I have, I give unto you what Jesus said here. Didn't he? Okay, so we are going to, I don't think I gave you notes on this, but anything you want notes on, I just didn't want it to be distracting. You have that page on the biblical tests. And I did, um, Sean, what, what's your name again, honey? Allison, okay. Allison, when, when Sean was up there talking about giving birth, um, I saw you pregnant. Now, that could be a natural thing for the future. I don't know. I don't <laughs> Are you? No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw you pregnant, but I believe that God was really birthing in you. Like, you're ready. You're right there on the edge. It's like you're 99% ready. There's, you're so full uh, of the mercy. You really understand the mercy and the love of God. And when that comes forth, oh, my gosh, you're going to give birth to a healthy, full baby. But you're so prophetic, and, and you're a true seer. And you're, you're so tender and sensitive in the spirit. There are times that others don't understand you. You could dry, cry at the drop of a hat. And I just believe you're so in tune with the, the environment of heaven that um, there's a sweetness and an aroma and a fragrance about you. And I believe that when others come into your presence, they're going to smell the very fragrance of heaven almost like a floral scent you know I just saw this sweetness like this this honeycomb this beautiful aroma that you uh, radiate and it's going to draw others into the presence of the Lord the sweetness and um, do you sing yeah songs are coming you know how could it not how could you not you're living with a man in partition <laughs> okay I have too many papers up here Did you have fun last night? Did that. Boundaries. Don't do this. Bring a computer when you're going to teach and preach. That Somebody gave me an iPad for this very reason. Watching me on... Um, live stream. They said, that girl needs an iPad. P.S. I got one. Huh? Yes? It's always going to come up and say, what do you need? Okay. Did that? Did the carnal mind, did the reprobate mind? Let's just turn to 1 Corinthians 14. It's better in my Bible. Huh? Yeah, boundaries. Oh, I got it right here. I'm sorry. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and comfort. <clears throat> These are the boundaries in the prophetic. And I'm going to break down these words so you understand. Edification. The root word of edification is edifice. It's likened unto a building. To edify. When you speak forth the word of the Lord, it's going to do one of these three things. It's not, go it's not just going to speak it. It's going to do it. Remember we said the prophetic, it creates. It does something. Change occurs. Reality becomes. It builds up like a building. Edifice means to strengthen, reinforce, edify, or to improve spiritually. So if you're giving someone a prophetic word, one of the components that will transpire here will be that it will edify. It doesn't mean it's only going to edify. You may get a word that may just comfort you and will not edify, but it will comfort. One of these three words will transpire during, during a prophetic word given. Edification, it means it builds you up. If I'm given <clears throat> pastor a word, um, that he's going to be a mighty warrior in this region. 
Does that build him up? Absolutely. Terms like warrior, uh, awesome man and woman of God, freedom fighter, man or woman of courage, man or woman of power and authority and anointing, those words build up, don't they? They edify, they strengthen you. <coughs> they reinforce what you, already, you felt was in the gut, was already on the inside of you. It's a reinforcement of who you know that you are. And man, you can conquer the world with a word like that. You know, how many of you received words like that this week where you just left and you felt strengthened or changed? Or something really was depositive. It wasn't just a temporal word. We can give words out temporarily that make you feel good. Like, Paul, I like your red shirt. You know, or, you know, Paul, you're just so nice. You're just a nice guy. Well, that makes him feel good, but does that improve him spiritually? See, there's a difference between nice words and prophetic words. There's a marked difference. If somebody comes up to you and says they have the word of the Lord, and, you know, it's like, okay. That doesn't mean you're not to soak in and ponder it and ask the Lord about it, but it should be doing something internally in you to promote or provoke change. exhortation means to minister encouragement and to motivate others to do the will of God. Now, to exhort someone to motivate them to do the will of God, that is inclusive of perhaps um, sometimes a little chastening, not correcting or rebuking or making them feel lesser than. That's putting them in a position of performance then. I always tell people, if you're given a prophetic word, never use these words. This is a just, you must, you should, you have to, you're not. You know, it's like if we're people that are visionaries and, and we have that realm operating us, we see things, you could very easily see a Bible over somebody's head. And I've heard people say this, God says you need to be reading the Bible more. Or you probably haven't, the Lord, God says, you, you know, you put that book down, you need to pick it up again. Well, there's ways to take, in other words, I'm speaking because I personally have really no understanding of grace. I don't personally have any revelation of grace, so I'm imposing that on him, starting out as a revelatory, starting out, I'm seeing a vision, I'm seeing correctly, but my interpretive skills are <laughs> from a wounded place. So I tell people, avoid those terms. You should, you must, you have to. Because what it does is it puts people in a position now where I better perform. Now I have to do something, you know. So if you're seeing things, you know, that's why we worked on those interpretive skills last night. I think that was really key for this house, that we may do some exercises like that. How many found it helped you? Pull, I mean, that's really key, is to be able to pull together, take... Um, a word, take a picture, take an impression, take a knowing, you pull them together to make a word that is clearly understood. So we can be seeing all kinds of things. Um, I could be seeing just a hat on somebody's head, random. I mean, this is what seers do. They see, how many of you see random pictures? You just see these things, right? And you're like, I had a girl come up to me one time, and she goes, I have a prophetic word. I have to share it. I said, well, what is it? And she goes, well, I saw these three balloons over here on the head. I says, well, tell me beyond that. I says, you, do you have the interpretation word? She goes, no. I says, honey, let's wait on it. And she went over to my daughter. She goes, your mother quenched my spirit. <laughs> so we need to learn how to uh, grab hold of this seer experience and be able to pull it together so that it becomes meaningful you know and so many of us we think the prophetic word is what you're seeing you know well I see we, like Pastor Mike would say listen if he finally got enough he, he says if you have a prophetic word come up to the mic but I don't want any pictures <laughs> well I see you know a goat over there with a bell on its head you know how we do and then you walk away and people think you're crazy 
So you have to be able to, you know, learn the art of interpretation. There's a great book out by Kevin Connor. It's an old book, but it's called Types and Symbols. And it gives a biblical view of just numbers, pictures, you know, just random things that biblically you're able to interpret. We'll talk about interpretation later. But anyway, to exhortation is to minister encouragement and to motivate others to do the will of God. And you know what, honestly, I've learned over the years that as God has given me a revelation of his heart, that I'm able to, to my words have changed. You know, because I'd be very one that would say, blah, 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 but with no heart. You know, and, and I found now that, you know, Giving forth the word of the Lord with the heart of God is really what changes people, you know? So we have to understand God's heart from a place of wholeness. <clears throat> so if I am going to minister a word of exhortation, and let's say I'm getting the sense, I'm getting a knowing, I'm getting a picture that somebody's way off course. They're on the verge of backsliding. Or, you know, they could care less about, th there's a cold heartedness that's taking residence within them. They, they've lost their love, their zeal, and they're dabbling in things of the world. Now we, as believers, as prophetic people, we sense these things. Well, what is God really saying in all of that? I believe that's where we have to go back to Ezekiel 37. We're not looking at the valley of dead bones. We are not going to concentrate, oh, I see that you're dead bones. I see, you know, that, you know, your valley, you're in this valley, this pit. I see that, you know, you're ready to backslide. We can focus in on the present, and, and when he said to Ezekiel, what do you see? You know, and he said to Jeremiah, what do you see? So he was evoking a response from them. Now, when you're saying you see a valley, what you're really saying is, I see what's happening in your life now. But that does not promote or produce, you know, change Exhortation is to improve and promote somebody to do the will of God. So if I'm telling you what I'm seeing in the temporal, if I'm, you know, highlighting Ezekiel, the, the valley of dry bones, we have to take it beyond to see what the great, exceedingly great army. So what does that do when you see the temporal? And you know it's a fact. Now, what would God see in all this? He would see from his gut. He would see what his spirit is saying in this. He would see that, you know, um, God is trying to chasten you. <clears throat> the love of God is reeling you in. The love of God is wooing you back because you have a mighty authority on you, because you have a mighty call in your life, because you're one that's going to reach thousands with your music or whatever. You know, or I just see you playing the keyboard and people are going to be healed and people are going to be delivered and, you know, you're going to minister to the generation, the, uh, to this generation that needs, you know, um, mothers and fathers. And you're seeing the exceedingly great army, but you start out seeing the Valley of Dry Bones. So we know things in this realm here, but God always is futuristic. The kingdom of God is always advancing. And <clears throat> I believe even as believers here, I, this is a word that God's been giving me. We are living for tomorrow. We are forward moving. We are not stagnant, and we are not to live in yesterday. You know, when we, we just, you know, when God spoke to Joshua, he said, Moses is dead. Moses is dead. We cannot do one darn thing about yesterday. So we always need to be visionaries, looking at destiny, looking at tomorrow. How do we better ourselves in the today so that tomorrow we become? You follow me? So when we're looking at somebody, we know everything. You know, it's like when the woman at the well, when Jesus knew everything about her. Now, he did. He knew everything about her. But he spoke to her about what? He was revealing who he was in a tender way. He wasn't rebuking her. He was just speaking truth. And that changed her to become, what, an evangelist to a city. The prophetic word did that. So change resulted, but we don't speak. 
I mean, there are times you can say to somebody, um, let's say somebody's barren, and you're seeing that they're, you know, that they're going to have a baby or whatever. I avoid giving personally, even though I, I believe that God's given me the, the authority. I don't really tell people directive words a whole lot. I don't say you're supposed to move here, there, or anywhere. You're going to have a husband who's going to have blue hair. Or because I believe that God gives individuals choices to make decisions. And immature people need to know how to make decisions on their own. I don't need... Now, there have been times I've rebuked, and probably twice in my life, where I've really rebuked somebody. And it was because that justice had to be extended. We had one, one time I rebuked um, my pastor. <laughs> well, he was the senior pastor. Wait a minute. He was the senior pastor. I was the associate pastor. I had relationship with him, and he respected me. So anyway, we were, have, we were in this building project, and the woman and her husband, they had been really interceding. There was all kinds of holdups with the, the building project. And my pastor, they're, all they're, they're talking down about the company, about, you know, why do we hire these people and nothing's getting done. And there was a holdup, and they were just, the pastor was getting frustrated. And all I could see, it wasn't that I wanted to rebuke him. All I could see was that the hours that this lady, Tina, had spent in intercession where we as a church had not. And I felt like justice needed to be extended to her, that we needed to turn that thing around, start honoring what she has done, even though the building project was taking a long time. So I said to him, you know what? I said, you know what, Pastor Rick? I said, God is not pleased. I said, we need to be honoring Tina. I says because she has stood in the place of intercession where we have not. Now, that was a rebuke. That was a real correction, but it wasn't disrespectful. What it did was it took it off of now, I'm not, where he would feel ashamed because a lot of rebukes now. No, it put it back on what the real issue was, that we needed to honor her for what she had done, though we didn't get what we wanted in the right timing or what we thought we should have had. So anyway, <clears throat> motivate others to do the will of God. So when you're seeing something that needs a little correction or needs a little adjustment, we see all kinds of things. Don't you as a pastor and people, you see things in people's lives. Like <clears throat> my daughter for a long time, I knew exactly what was going on with her with college, that she was really backslidden. She was a professing atheist. Now, I didn't go around rebuking or correcting her. I just kept telling her, she said, Mom, did God ever show you what I was doing? I says, no. She goes, good, because I would have been embarrassed. So I didn't even ask. But I knew, what I knew was that she was far from God, and I knew that God had his hand on her and she had a call in her life. So what I would do to her is when she'd come home on the weekends, I would just keep speaking the destiny over her. Who she was and not the valley, not the dry bones. And we need to be a people that look beyond the dry bones, use Ezekiel 37 as the foundation for prophetic ministry. And I tell you one thing, that even challenges me. Because I see, I see temporary situations. I see things going on in people's lives. But you know what? I don't stop there. People don't need to know because they already know. You know, I remember years ago, I, God would show me every person that, ever, that wanted to commit suicide. I would just see these things. And at my church, I would say, oh, there's somebody here that's going to commit suicide. And there'd always be somebody that respond and they come up weeping. Well, you know what? I look back now that they were probably comforted in that God knew. You know, and there's a comfort, there's an element of love that can go into a word like that, that God knows, but it doesn't do anything to promote destiny. It just kind of soothes their temporary ache. Do you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> so comfort to soothe in time of sorrow, to heal of distress, remove hurts, sadness, and depression. And the prophetic word will do that. You know, you give somebody a prophetic word of just grace. They're so full of shame. They're so full of, uh, you know, years of verbal abuse or years of just the accuser of the brethren knocking on their door, just, you bad person. You could have done that. You should have done that. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have raised my kids like that. They beat themselves up. And, and you can just go over to them and say, you know what? 
God is saying that he's breaking the assignment over you, the accuser of the brethren. And I did that over somebody this weekend. And what it is is for years they were being tormented that they did something wrong. You know how many parents, when their kids go astray, they blame themselves? Because they revisit. The I, I revisited so many years of, one time I said to my daughter, I went, she goes, Mom, I already forgave you. But I'm like, please, please. I'm sorry for even the effects of what I did. You know, and what it really was, was I still was being ridden with the accuser of the brethren. It was your fault. Things could have been different. You know, and, and we got that, we have to break. In fact, I break that right now. I just see that right now over people. The accuser of the brethren, you did something wrong. It's your fault. You should do something different. You should do something better. You did this. You did that. You said this. You could have done it differently. You made a mistake. It's the accusations that you hear over and over and over again, and we're unable to advance. So I break the spirit of the accuser of the brethren, and I just release great peace to you and truth because the accuser is full of lies. He, he brings things up. God never regresses. The kingdom is always advancing. How you can tell it's the accuser of the brethren is you regress to a thought that you can't change. God is not regressing. We are progressing. We're living in the progressiveness of God, progressing, advancing, forward momentum always. And anything that will hold you back, anything that will keep you in yesterday is the accuser of the brethren. You know, my family... <laughs> They used to walk around, and really, I, I had that, I, I can speak for that, because I had that assignment on my life. It was like when I was a little girl, Ruth did it. My mother would walk around saying, I have four good kids. Well, three of them are good, but Ruth is the worst one, because uh, I was rebellious. And even when uh, she'd introduced me, she was proud of me later on, you know, she was proud of me, and I'd go minister at the old age home and stuff. She's so proud of me then, and she'd say, I'm so proud of her now. She used to be the worst one. <laughs> you know, she was my, she was my, you know, I have high blood pressure over her. And what I lived under that, like, I really did things wrong. And I remember it followed me. It followed me. And my husband and my kids would say, uh-oh, mom must have thrown it out. She throws everything out. It's mom's fault. How come you didn't buy this brand? You bought that brand. And I remember I would just always feel like I always did something wrong. And you know what I started saying when I realized the assignment over me was the accuser of the brethren? I used to walk around going, Romans 8, Romans 8. <laughs> My son one time says, enough with the Romans 8. <laughs> but anyway, we need to break that to, to be forward momentum. Okay, so comfort. Comfort is somebody's in grief. And oh, you say the Holy Spirit, he's comforter. The Holy Spirit wants to overshadow you. The Holy, I just see angels coming to assist you. The Holy Spirit is going to make you one that can comfort others. The Holy Spirit is going to have you minister to the downtrodden. The Holy Spirit is raising you up as a voice of comfort, healing, as a voice of deliverance. So you take that word of comfort, and you don't just leave them in comfort. You know, comfort is powerful because it really gives us a revelation of the love of God, that God's always about destiny. He doesn't ever leave us in today's place, does he? <clears throat> okay. Now what page? I'm taking 22 pages, and I'm picking out which ones we need. Any questions? That's always a good thing to say when you're looking for something. <laughs> or how about this one? Do we have any testimonies? <laughs> Remember, the prophetic word is to bring people out into liberty. 
We'll do that after the break. What I want us to do now is let's revisit the three main ways that God speaks to us. We see, we hear, what else? We sense. We see, we hear, or we sense. We see, we hear, or we sense. And remember, we're, we're getting out of our natural mind, our soulish mind, our reprobate mind, and a carnal mind. And God only operates prophetically through the spiritually minded man or woman. And that's one that taps into here, taps into their gut, their spirit. So what I want us to do now is what we do is we pray in tongues, we pray in the spirit, and then we're going to tap into seeing, hearing, or sensing. And because we have a few new people here today, we're, go- we're just going to revisit that. You know what? It's always good to revisit. It's always good to go over and over and over. Um, what I want you to do now is to um, find a partner. You can sit with your spouse. I don't care. Let's pray in tongues. Mam shaka nerobo saka nerobo sete rama seke ni diamo seke ni andarobo kosete remo saka dia seke ni andarobo kosati andarobo kosate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you're just stirring up the environment where we see very clearly and very easily. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing the atmosphere and the environment, Lord, that we can see, we can hear, we can know. Get us out of our head. Take us out of our head, out of our head, and into our spiritual man, the heart of man, the spiritual mind, God. We're thinking on things above. Holy Spirit, what do you see? What do we see? What do you see? God's evoking that question, what do you see? then I simply want you to turn to that person and say, I see, and tell them what you see. We're not interpreting it now. You're just going to exercise seeing something. All right, ready, go. Turn to the partner, pick whoever's going to go first, and tell them what you're seeing from your spiritual mind, not what you're assuming, go and, and begin to converse and just share what you're seeing. Everybody have a partner? Whoa. Change partners. I mean, not change. I mean, speak to the other person.
Everybody done? How many found that one hard? Anybody? Did you? That's okay. Because sometimes, you know what, you're not used to seeing, you're used to maybe sensing. Okay? Now we're going to go into that one. So I don't want you to stay with your same partner. I don't want you to really look for anything. Just sense. Sense what God wants to say. Tap into God's heart. Tap into his heart. That's hard sometimes for people that are not used to being, you know, really passionate or intimate with God. But sometimes that will provoke you to say, oh, my God, do I even know your heart? So ask God for his heart for the person that you're with. And speak from the heart of God to the person next to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give the heart of God. Release the heart of God. The heart of God to your people. Go. This one's a little harder, isn't it? You went, what's that? You make up stories? <laughs> okay. It's pro- it was probably a little easier for the women, I think, to do this one. <laughs> how many, that was a little more difficult, wasn't it? And how did you get to the word then? You really, you had to tap into your spirit, right? To the gut, to the center of who you are, your spirit man. Anyway, um, do you want to take a break now? It's quarter to 11. We'll come back at 11. All right, it's quarter to 11. We'll take a break. I hope that everyone here um, has a, just a basic understanding of the prophetic ministry now. And what we've been speaking about all week is that it's activated by faith, that it is, you know, given to all believers, and, you know, it just um, is a gateway. 
when you speak the prophetic word to others, when you speak a prophetic word to a church, it opens up, prepares the way of the Lord for God to move. <clears throat> it expands his kingdom, <clears throat> and it's the only gift that we're told to covet. <clears throat> so I just, you want to keep it simple. You don't want to overcomplicate it. So I believe that in doing that, just keeping it simple, we, we know what we have to do. We, we activate by faith. We grow in prophetic ministry in the proportion of our faith, according to Romans, right? Romans 12, 6, having gifts differing according to the grace that is, that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. So we grow in faith through experiential time with God, trusting him. When seasons come, seasons go. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more intimate we walk with him, the more understanding we have of the Logos word of God, we grow in prophetic ministry. We grow in use. Hebrews 5.12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have, need, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. By reason of use, we train ourselves. By, by using the gift, there's no magic. Everybody has to get out of the boat. You're not just going to wake up one day and prophesy for 20 minutes. Through reason of use, it grows and it is exercised. You start out with the one, two, three words. You know, you just grow in it. You, there's no getting around it. You're going to have to exercise it. You're going to have to learn that it's about courage, about jumping out of the boat. It's just about doing it. Was that Nike ad years ago, just do it? People say, me, I say, People, they'll come up to me and they'll say, I had a fight with my husband and I don't feel like prophesying today. I said, just go in and just do it. You know, what they're really saying is, I'm all, my soul is all riled up now. Don't expect me to be spiritual. <laughs> so as we grow, we grow in being wise. We grow in wisdom. We grow in the wisdom how to deliver it, how to, uh, you know, project the heart of God, how to... Um, just be wise in your dealings with people. You know, be wise. Be timely. Um, accuracy comes with just asking, asking God. We would have challenges that we'd do on Sunday mornings um, for a couple of years. We would get together and we'd say, okay, this month we're going to ask God for dates. We're going to ask God for names. We're going to ask God for just those intricate words of knowledge, and that's how we grow. And then you begin to expect increase. You begin to looking for increase. You know, if you ask God, God, give me names. Like Sean said, he, he had gotten a name when he was at a church, and he kept getting it over and over again. Don't dismiss that. You know, just keep plowing. Just keep believing. Just, you know, trust the spirit of truth inside of you. That, you know, I remember one time, the first time I stepped out in a name, I brought a team with me. When I was preaching, and then I brought a couple of people to prophesy. And remember, the first time I had gotten a name, this was probably six or seven years ago, I got the name Susan. And um, this was an all-black church, so it wasn't like Lanisha, you know. It was Susan, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm going, maybe cut that from the table. <laughs> I don't know. But Susan, and nobody's, nobody's responding. And I'm like, well, maybe you work with somebody named Susan. <laughs> then I was looking, trying to, you know, get myself out of that then. But the girl said, well, I'm Sue. You know, so then I started prophesying to her. But, you know, here she wasn't sure it was her, and I didn't say Susan, you know, but she's like, they call me Sue. One time we were at Greer, and um, my husband, he's Andy, you know, and a woman came in. She was a prophet from Australia, and she kept, she was singing unto the Lord. She kept going, she's singing, and she goes, Andrew, Andrew. And nobody's responding. I go, Andy, your name's Andrew. <laughs> so he, the power of that word she gave him was that you're going to begin to weep. My husband, it would, you know, it was years that he not really cried. I mean, occasionally. I remember one time we were watching The Color Purple like 20 years ago, and he started holding back <laughs> to the end of the movie. But, yeah, but he, oh, you'll tell him. Now... Whenever we give our testimony, we do a, a covenant partners class at our church, and, and we're on the rotation, and we do the class. I, I have to do the whole class, because once he starts talking about the Lord, 
he just starts crying. I mean, crying where like he, you know, and it was, it produced in him tears, that prophetic word, his name being spoken, and it was a simple word that you're going to begin to weep. Weep, you're not going to be able to even talk about the Lord without weeping. And it produced, he weeps, his name. God knows your name. I, I remember one time, Jim Gull was at our church. Now, I love Jim Gull. I think he's got some of the best. I'm sorry I don't have his books out there, but if you can grab hold of any one of his books on the prophetic, the seer, prophetic intercession, all those books are just amazing. He has a new book out, The Life of a Prophet, and he's got like 21 just chapters on wisdom. And anyway, he came to our church, and he was up at the pulpit, and he had his stuff in front of him, and he goes, uh, where's Ruth? So I'm like, oh, I left my notes up there, or I left a book up there. I thought he was found my name in the beginning of a book or something. He goes, where's Ruth? And I'm the only Ruth in the church, right? So I go up there like this. <laughs> I was a little nervous. And he gave me the book, The Seer, which I love that book. I think I gave it to you last time, didn't I? Did you read it? You're working on it. Okay. Chew it. Devour it. But anyway, he prophesied over me, and it was a very powerful word. It was like a commissioning, but it was just more that he knew my name. You know, that God spoke my name. That's powerful. I just released you names that you're going to know and discern and hear names of people. That makes it so uniquely specific from the heart of God. It's, there's nothing like God speaking your name. <clears throat> we grow in confidence, not self-confidence. And I think this is where we fail. We're waiting to get confident. Well, don't be confident. Just com be confident in the Lord. You're not looking for self-confidence. You're looking to be, I'm confident that God is going to be faithful. I'm sure that God comes through. I know my God. I'm going to do exploits. My confidence is in him. And I think people miss growing and moving in gifts of the Spirit because they're waiting for confidence. Well, you know, take that out of your vocabulary that you're looking for self-confidence. You want confidence. My confidence and my hope is in my God, that he's not going to fail me. He's not going to leave me. He's going to speak. I'm just the vessel. I'm just the tabernacle. I'm just going to be a mouthpiece. I'm just the oracle. And God, you know, I, I tell people, you know, it, it's, it's easy to look at it this way. You're just reading a letter. That's all you're doing. You're reading the letter. You're reading what God is saying. You're releasing information from heaven. You're just the mailman. And I think too often we, we compare ourselves to other people. We um, want to be mighty, and, you know, we want people really to give us accolades for how powerful we are. And I said effective prophetic ministry is humility before God. I tell people, um, it was so funny, we had a group at our church. They left, but they felt, unless you weren't manifesting or shaking or quaking, that, you know, the, anoint the Holy Spirit wasn't there. So we, we had this group, and we used to call them, they, they were the uh, cafe church, because we'd be in having church, and they'd be out in the cafe having groups of people. They since left, but... I tell people, you know, just be yourself when you're prophesying. You don't have to shake. You don't have to grab somebody and get oh, the word of the Lord, you know. <laughs> I mean, so I've done that where I, I really felt constrained by God that, you know, the power of God, I, I could barely prophesy, but that's very rare. You know, Jesus spoke in conversational manner to the woman at the well. It was just conversational. Be yourself. Just have a conversation. You know, the authority comes from knowing God. And, and I just believe that, you know what, when, when we know God, that word is crystal clear in their receptor. They're going to, you, you may, my son used to say to mom, you embarrass me when you prophesy because you stutter. He used to say, he was a little boy, you know, and their moms, they're, they're looking out, their mother, and you know, their mother's like, your kids, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed by their parents. Well, I was one of the few prophetic voices in this other church, 
And it was just because the church really wasn't um, moving in that realm. But I would stand and I would prophesy as we did back in the 80s. Thus saith the Lord thy God in King James. I'd stand up and then I'd sit down. He'd go, Mom, you, you stutter. You know, that could have really hindered me. But I, I was growing in faith. I was growing in delivery. I was growing in accuracy. But it didn't stop me. Because I just said, Lord, you know what? When I was saved and the Lord called me to ministry, I says, I want to be one that fulfills the call. Many are called, few are chosen. I wanted to be counted in the chosen. And I knew the only way to do that was to continually live a life of yielding, day by day, plowing, plowing, keep going forward, being tenacious, tenacity, tenacity, tenacity. I just released finishing anointing on you. I just released tenacity here in this house. I release a finishing anointing on you. Continual, progressive growth. Yeah. His strength, not your confidence. His, his confidence, not yours. People come up to me all the time and they say, I don't know, I'm just, I, I just, I'm not, I don't have any confidence. I say, that is awesome. Great. That is so good. That's wonderful. And they look at me like, I'd say, forget about it. You know what? Just listen. Just be. We've got this thing backwards sometimes. Anyway, um, 